Recruiters, hello. I hope you're well. I wanted to very quickly just jump in before this episode started to do a a very quick introduction. This episode is a bit different. I have a chat with uh, a guy called Chevy Ruff and we go really deep. We have a real honest conversation about Chevy's journey with his mental health. So I just wanted to say before you listen to this, you may find it difficult to listen to. You, Some of these things that he says may resonate with you. I just wanted to, to let you know that this episode is going to be a bit different. And I think personally it's it's a great thing that we have more men opening up and talking about their hardships with mental health. I think it's so important and it's something that I'm always going to advocate, encourage and do on this podcast and hopefully all of you guys will agree with that. So I hope you enjoy the episode. If there's anything in there that I guess encourage you encourages you to reach out to Chevy, please do. Or if any of this sort of resonates and you want to speak to someone or I don't know, even think about getting help, then honestly Chevy is a great person to reach out to and uh, just make sure you do that. I hope you and your family are well, safe, and enjoy the conversation. The Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Hunted, the home of recruitment. If you're a recruiter that's currently weighing up your options at the moment and you have no idea what your future looks like, you need to get yourself a profile on Hunted. It's the best place to view opportunities that are exclusive to recruiters like you. You can apply to jobs anonymously and even talk directly with hiring managers. You can filter brands based on what's important to you and they've even recently included an actively hiring now badge to make it very easy and simple for you to see and find what businesses, what agencies are hiring today. There are hundreds, I'm talking hundreds of companies on Hunted who each have all of their career information in one place and it's so easy to see, uh, use and find out what these companies offer. So rather than going between Google, various company websites, social media accounts and countless LinkedIn profiles, you need to get yourself to hunted.com for the best jobs in recruitment. It's as simple as that. If you're an employer and you're hiring, you want to get in front of some of the best talent in the industry and you listen to this podcast, if you're listening to this ad, then that is you, then I've got a special discount code for you. You can get a huge 25% discount of Hunted's annual subscription by using Rollercoaster25. That is Rollercoaster25. Get yourself to hunter.com forward slash employer. Inquire about making a profile. You need to get on there. And when you do, make sure you use the referral code. And if you're a recruiter, make sure you set yourself up a profile because it is a no-brainer. Get yourself on hunter.com. Enjoy the episode. So the big question is this. 
How do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name's Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm, I've been really looking forward to this conversation and I'm really delighted to introduce all of you to a guy called Chevy Ruff, who worked in recruitment for 10 years, working in agency for eight, two years internal. Um, and for the last five years, Chevy's actually been a well-being and productivity coach, working with people um, from all walks of life, but professionals and corporates. And uh, really excited to have you on, Chevy. I'm excited to be here, brother. Like I really am. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, for you, all the listeners to to meet and know who you are if they don't already. So, look, where I always like to start on on this podcast is is how you got into recruitment. Um, but before I do, what how have things been for you? What's been what's been going on in the Chevy world for the last couple of months? Brother, I think just like you know like a lot of us highs and lows uh things to be grateful for um uh things to stress about you know energy to spend trying to navigate this new world that we live in um yeah man i i was i always say you know it's been i kind of say i mean we're we're recording this at what the the end of june now so i've actually taken june off because you know and i kind of always say this because you know, I'm the well-being, productivity, and energy guy, right? Like I'm the guy that, that that helps people understand how to get more out of their day, whether that's more time with loved ones, more time for themselves, more energy for themselves, whatever it may be. And as you know, I live and breathe this stuff, and and you know, I burn out, right? Like or whatever we want to call it. You know, it's it's really important to to share that. So I've just you know got to the kind of end of end of May, beginning of June, and I was like, you know what? I'm done with pivoting right now and, and I'm going to take some time out. So I've just kind of been putting some energy back in the tank and just kind of letting some of the lessons learnt settle over the last few weeks and then just kind of write, what's phase two now? Because mm. we're only just beginning really. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, what does that look like? So I'm, I'm kind of in a good space. It, a few days it got hard, but other yeah, than nice. that... No, yeah, I think spoken to a lot of people that definitely who have their own business have sort of used this time to sort of do the on, on the business things and reflect and think about what they like to think the, the net, how they'd want the next couple of months to look like. But okay, awesome. Well, look, I think as you know, and me and you discussed, we're definitely going to touch on Chevy rough recruitment, recruitment career. We're going to definitely touch on that. But I think what, what I'm really keen to, to talk about and focus on today is sort of Chevy's journey and becoming a well-being productivity coach what you sort of the common things that you see in people the sort of journey that you've been on yourself um and yeah have a real focus and open discussion around mental well-being yeah so let's just start with how how uh, you entered the world of recruitment because it was a big part of your life so how how did uh, how did you get into recruitment you know I don't want to be another another recruiter. I, by the way, I talk about myself still as if I'm a recruiter. It's, 
I always like my work with the recruitment companies now, I'm kind of like, I'm sitting there presenting to young guys and, and, and people and, and, and I'm like, I'm talking like I'm on the sales floor still. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if I'm like holding on to something or just kind of comes on in camaraderie, but I, uh, dare I say, you know, like uh, most fell into the industry, you know, it was, um, it was never a childhood dream to be a recruitment consultant. And it was something that I hadn't really heard of until properly until kind of like my early 20s. So I, I basically, I mean, I left school at like 16. I, I fell out of a public school education. You know, my mum always says she'd been better at investing in a house than, than my education. But it was, um, I kind of, I, I fell out of school and I went to work in the square mile for four years. So I actually worked in kind of back office operations, then trade support. I worked for like Credit Suisse, um, Cantor Fitzgerald, uh, kind of brokerage. Um, didn't have a clue what I was doing. Like, I'm pretty sure there's a piece of paper that leads back to me that's responsible for the credit crunch. <laughs> Massively dyslexic, you know, but, and, and it was within that dyslexia that I suppose I, I started to understand how to navigate your way through your career, through communication and relationships, as opposed to kind of, you know, being the guy that could put together the great deck. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, or be the numbers person. Interesting. So I did that. I didn't understand what I was doing. And I, you know, Unfortunately, I got into that trapping where I kind of got to 21, 22, and I'd earned great money. You know, I was earning fantastic money, but didn't really understand what I was doing. Wasn't really good at it. Never really felt like I fitted into the city in that capacity in the finance world. I had a lot of imposter syndrome going on. So I kind of took a year out or six months out, I think. Oh, it's so long ago, bro. I'm trying to remember. Like, I'm sure that my facts, someone checks, facts and figures checks me. I'll be a little bit false. But it was like, you know, I took like six months out or something. I can't remember. And I was like, I still need to have the same earning potential. That's where I got stuck, right? Like, you know, I was earning good money and I, I wanted to keep earning that. Um, and kind of people had identified in me that, that I was good at building relationships. That's how I got ahead in my career within, you know, financial services. That's why I got paid the bonuses that I got paid was because of the relationships that I built. So someone just naturally and organically said recruitment to me. Um, and I think I ended up knocking on the door of Hudson, um, with those guys. And they were kind of like, we need some, we need a junior researcher, associate consultant to come and work on our newly qualified, uh, accountant desk. So shifting newly qualified ACAs out of practice into kind of middle office banking, uh, operation, uh, middle office finance, front office functions. So yeah, I did that dude. I was just like, cool. You know, and I you sell the dream, right? You've got earning potential, autonomous, building a business, Everyone was wearing shiny watches and shiny suits. And I was 22 years old and thought, yeah, I want the holidays to Ibiza and the, the, the shiny cars. That's what I need in life. That's what's going to make me happy. So how, um, how would you sum up your time in recruitment? <laughs> Drug fueled um, and um, a real battle. Um, it was... You know, I, it's kind of, you know, there's school reports and I think a lot, uh, you know, I speak to, I think a lot of consultants, you know, over the years I've met, you know, it's kind of like Chev, Chev did, Chev could do really good in school, but you know, Chev has a natural yeah, talent. Yeah. I, I was that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, but like, and I think like, I have no doubt there are people, you know, you've got a good podcast here. It has a good reach. And I have no doubt that there'll be people listening to this potentially that will know someone that I know that knew me from back of the day. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, he was a good guy, but, right? Like, my name yeah. carried fast, right? Like, Chevy Roth, like, is unfortunately, everything's a, a blessing and a curse in life. Like, and it was, um, so I, you know, I, I was a very lost young man, I think, to give some context. I know you want to talk, we want to talk about mental health today. So let me give people a little bit of context here. When I walked into the city, 
I'd been bullied at school. I never fitted into the playground. And I struggled with saying no, and especially no to men, because my dad had kind of walked out of the house at the age of 12. And, you know, I never really knew how to fit in with guys in the playground. You know, I was always really uncomfortable with that. I never really, I like, didn't like football and I found it hard. So I became this chameleon. I wore this mask, right? Like it was like, I learned to like the football team that you like. You know, I learned to like the music that you liked, right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, you, if you listen to the Fugees, the score, yeah, 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 right? Like, then I'm going home. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was this kind of like this, 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 this creating and wearing a mask that I felt other people wanted me to wear to be accepted by them. So when I rolled into the city at 18, when I went down the pub with a bunch of traders, and they were like, what do you want to drink? And I was like, I'll have an orange juice. And they're like, no, you won't. You'll have a pint of Stella and then you'll have a double vodka Red Bull and you'll learn to love it. I didn't want to say no, right? Like I said yes, because I wanted them to accept me into their tribe. And what I found through alcohol and, well, alcohol led to drugs, led to Coke very quickly, yeah. you know? Um, and what I found is these substances gave me superhero powers. They gave me confidence. They gave me identity within the pack. I could be trusted to be the last man standing on the dance floor. You could trust me to go and dance with the girls and chat to the girls. And like, it gave me this mask mm. to wear and this identity. So when I rolled into recruitment, boy, right? Like we all know what the industry you know, it's definitely trying to change, but we understand it's an industry like many other industries where there can be a big work hard, play hard culture. Like it's the way it is. So I gravitated towards that. So then the more I got into recruitment, the more I sunk into my addiction. Mm. But then my cycle with recruitment was feeding the addiction from a fitting in point of view, an identity point of view, but also from a financial point of view. So I would bust quarterly targets. I would be like, you know, 100 plus quarter, 120 plus quarter. Like I would be breaking targets from my market, breaking records on the teams. Like I would be hunting people down. And then I would get the money in my account. And then I would spend the following quarter spending that on partying and drugs dipping. So my career was, I was the worst kind of consultant you could have, which was no consistency. Really? You know what I mean? Like, and we all know this. Like, well, and, you, and you think that was a direct correlation with your lifestyle? It was, I no, I think it, it was, it was a couple of factors. It was one lifestyle. And also secondly, I felt like I didn't understand the purpose of my life and what I was doing. Okay. I understood the mechanics of recruitment and I got value from being a consultant as opposed to a, a sharky salesman for lack of a better phrase. Sure. I understood that if I treated my candidates right, whether I placed them or didn't place them, that would lead to future business, whether as a hiring manager or referrals or their future, future movement. I understood these mechanics, but I didn't, I felt like recruitment was flipping burgers at Burger King. You know, why have I got to do these BD calls? Why am I going through this suffering? Why am I dealing with deals dropping out? Like, what's the point of me doing this? Mm. And I had no purpose attached to my job. And I also worked for organizations that stripped autonomy. You know, it was get in at 830, like, you know, 829, like, and be on the phones and hour by hour. And as human beings, if you remove autonomy and you remove purpose, <laughs> people struggle, right? Like in, as human beings, we need to feel in control of our life and we need to feel like we have a purpose. I had neither of those. So when you have the drugs that were compounding on childhood trauma and then compounding on living a life that I didn't understand and didn't really want to do and didn't really kind of get, I just had this relationship with recruitment that was highs and lows. Yeah. And then as the, the addiction got darker, 
I mean, there was a stage when I had more jobs than you've had hot dinners. And I, I used to just, my, my CV was bullshit because I understood the mechanics of having to move from agency to agency, yeah. get a pay rise, but not actually, like I knew how to sell to people, right? Like, so, yeah, of course. you know, and I'm not proud of that. And I'm laughing about, I'm not proud of it. Like I'm not, but I'm just giving the reality to mental health at the time, which was survival. Yeah. So I had that. And then to finish off, sorry, I'm waffling. Then to finish off, That's like okay. the last, the last few years, I like I was proud of what I did. Then I started to build a reputation and a name, and and started to deliver and find consistency and do well. So I caused a lot of damage to my reputation for the beginning years. I was very up and down. But then as I started to clean up, sober up, get drug free, I started to build a career that I was proud of, and I delivered for the people that I worked with. And uh, you know, hopefully, they, they to this day they'll say they were proud to have me on their team, which I'm proud of. And I developed good consultants in the end, so I was happy with that. Did anyone, did anyone ever pull you aside and go, Chevy, well done, great quarter, smashed it. When I was in your shoes, sometimes, look, have, have fun, do what you want to do, but like, I've got some advice for you on what you should think about with your money. Like, did, did anyone ever have that conversation with you? Uh, this is why I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you, bro, because these are, these are such important, like that you've just nailed, like, I think what is such an important conversation to have to help shift the culture of recruitment or, or, or for us to play a part in that conversation in whatever small way it is. In short, no, they didn't, you know? And I think people tried, like in all fairness, maybe people tried, but I was so in my own ego and my own shit that I just rejected it really quickly and I'm sure that there were people in my career that turned around and tried to give me some fatherly advice. Do you know what I mean? But I think generally 99% of the people that I worked with were fueled to my fire. You know, and this is the thing, like we've got to remember in an, in, 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 in industry and there are other industries like this, but generally, you know, recruitment was an industry where researchers, junior graduates were doing cocaine in toilets and hotel rooms with MDs and CEOs. <laughs> And I, you know, just straight facts, like straight facts. And I will come at the recruitment market. There are a lot of agencies that are really trying to evolve, but there are still a lot of agencies stuck in this because you've got a lot of MDs and CEOs or senior managers who are in this career, in this life, have earned the money, haven't got an exit plan, not really finding a purpose in what they do and driven by what they do. So they become kings in their own court, right? Yeah. And I see this play out. Like I see it in junior people now, consultants. I see it in agencies that I go in and talk to when I look at their culture and whether I'm going to work with them or not. And I see this. And then what they're doing is they're playing it out in their own court and then they're feeding it. You know, I'm going to incentivize you by giving you commission, but I'm also going to give you a couple of bags of Coke and take you down the strip club at 12 o'clock on a Friday at the end of the quarter. And that was definitely, I mean, like I said, culture is definitely shifting, but that was the culture of recruitment that I was in hard and fast. So it was just, you know, I was the guy getting the drugs in for my director. Yeah. So there, so there was no financial conversation, right? Which I think we'll go into it, but financial health, mental health, they're linked. Dude, no, exactly. Bro, of course it is. It's well-being, right? What are the different elements of well-being? You know, we've got social well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being, environmental well-being. And I'm talking about our environments, not plastic. Like you've got all these things. And then yes, financial well-being is a huge, huge factor. And, you know, no one is given, and this is part of it, like good companies now offer packages to young people to help them understand how to manage their finances. Yeah. As, you know, kids of 22, 23 are, are, yeah, I mean, some can be earning 30 grand, some can be earning 50, 60, 70. And if they're a player, they're earning 100K, 110K within the first few years. By the age of 25, 26, you're balling in all this money and no one's helped you understood how to spend that money. 
you know? So it's definitely, I mean, no one had that conversation. It was definitely, uh, you know, just to finish why I think it's so important because of the reasons. But I just think that, you know, this is when I try and work now with senior consultants, principal consultants, managers, and so forth. I'm like, you know, it's not just about what money you can bring to the business. It's also how you can uplift the culture of the business and and the market as a whole. You know, junior consultants are looking up to you. So if you want to know how to help people in your company and help challenge the culture of recruitment or sales and so forth, then you get the opportunity to be a role model. And then it gives them purpose, right? Like it's great. So this is kind of this this system that we can create. Anyway, I'm waffling, but yeah. No, no, I like that. So what, what I want to talk a bit about um, then before we go into the sort of last five years is, um, so if I'm, if I'm listening right now and I've recognized that I'm in those circles, right? So back to your point of, it's so hard to say no. Yes, right? bro. Especially when you're in a business, you, you don't want to be that guy that leaves the pub early, you don't want to be that guy that orders your orange juice because you get more grief for it. You, you like it's it's just how it is, right? I'm not drinking today. Nah, come on, come on. So like, so like if I'm if I've if I've recognised that I'm in these circles and I'm sort of thinking, you know what? Whenever I've ended up going out with Chevy after work, it's always gone a bit peak tong, and that's something that I'm trying to sort of fizzle out of my life because I am trying to work out what my purpose is and da da da. So. Like that's so it's it's hard to sort of get away from that. So I guess what what I want to sort of you to share is like how you started to, like you said, like by the end of your career, you was actually ended. You was really proud of what you did, blah blah blah. So how what was that transition like? What what was driving it, and how did you start actually getting out of that dark place? Right again, re- really great question, really important question because I can sometimes be very. Um, uh, reductionist, like very black and white, like this is what you need to do, right? But there's a lot of gray area to this and change and improving your health and well. I mean, I decided to quit drugs 12 years ago. I'm still dealing with the echoes of that addiction today, right? Like it's improving your well being and your health and your behaviors and your habits is about how can I make two to 3% gains this year? And how does that compound on next year, the year after that, the year after that? There is no switch where you go from one to the other. There are definitely significant moments in your life, but absolutely, it's not as easy as that. It's a lot about two steps forward, five steps back on occasion. So the couple of couple of bits of advice I give is, and, and one, we can look at the research behind this and look at some evidence-based stuff from it and, and give some real quick highlight of that. But actually, just from a personal perspective, and, and when I'm working with people trying to make this transition and change in life is, you've got to first separate the difference between your kind of inside view and inside noise. So your inside view is constantly telling you what you need to do in life, right? Like how many people have said in the last couple of months that they really need a holiday because they're, 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 they're non-conscious. They're the million years of evolution. Their system is actually saying to them, like, probably you've spent a lot of energy over the last couple of months. I need you to take a break right now. Right. Like our inside view is constantly saying, I should probably get back to the gym. I need to start eating healthier. I should have more will where we're constantly telling ourselves what we need. I should probably head home tonight. But what happens is inside noise gets in the way. Like, I don't want to miss out. I've got FOMO. Like, careers are made down the pub. Last one in, first first one in, last one out, right? Like, we have this noise that just kind of suppresses that inside view. And that's also fed by outside noise, which is culture. You know, like, culture kind of is talking about hustle culture. And, and, you know, you've got to be, you know, anyway, blah, blah, blah. And I think, first of all, is to distinguish between the two and start to really build a strength of, 
a character and belief in your inside view and actioning that inside view. And, you know, stepping over some of your own shit about, well, why do I feel I have to go down the pub, you know, and realizing that you're going to have to probably have some tough conversations with yourself around why that is, because I want to fit in, I want to be accepted, like, conversations that you might not have with anyone else, but you're going to need to have with yourself to understand why you feel you need to be in the pub. Maybe you just want to be in the pub because you hate your job so much. You just want to forget. Right. So it's kind yeah, of that's like, the, that's the hardest part though. Right. Who, who's willing to admit or look at the parts they don't like about themselves. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's it. And that's what, you know, my job is to put a mirror up to people. Right. And, and that's what I do is get them looking at these hard questions and, and, and so forth. But this is the work you have to do. How did you do that then? Bro, for me, so there was a couple of things and this is important is it was, it was one, just one, it was real. The first thing, the first step that I took was realizing as not putting a gold standard in myself and what change looked like for years. I'd spent my life wishing I was like other people and being happy, like other people, having the cars, like other people, the houses, other people. I was always wishing myself into another life. And the first comparing. thing that I, yeah, comparing, right? Like it's the, it's the, you know, the, the, the thief of joy, right? It's comparison. It's like, and for me, I stopped and just thought, you know what? I need to stop thinking about the bigger picture because I can't see the road ahead at the moment. What I need to do is focus on today. What are the small things that I can do today to impact today and tomorrow? And how can I start to create these habits and routines? So I started small. I made my problem small. I made my world small. I stopped thinking about the bigger stuff and I focused on today. And I learned to say no, you know, and I learned to accept that if I did say yes and I went and did a few grams of Coke and I didn't sleep that night and I was back in work the next morning, I refused to call myself a failure. Instead, I took a growth mindset where I thought, what did I learn from this? Where did I go wrong? What should have I listened to within myself? What so sparked kind of, that then? Because that just doesn't ha- that doesn't happen. It was I, for me. It was for me. What sparked that was was hitting rock bottom. You know, it yeah, was realizing you had the rock bottom moment. Bruv, I was I was like, you know, it was Christmas Day morning, and I was wrapping presents at six a.m. surrounded by cocaine with the family all coming over for the rest of the day, and I'd been up for four days straight, dipping into a twenty grand commission <laughs> bonus. Right, like Oof. I had plowed about four five grand out of twenty grand in a, in a couple of days. Like I just got paid a big big boy bonus. Right. So for me, it was like, I was like, I need, I'm going to kill myself if I don't start to make change. So real life moment drove yeah. it. And I wasn't, I did no self-help. I didn't even know the conversation about mental health then. I just had enough in me to realize I knew that I was meant for more. And maybe that's just more love for myself, more of a happier life. Or what, I just knew there was something different. I'm sure when you were working in recruitment, you had these, just this feeling inside you that something more is out there. Yeah. And but, but me, it was a rock, bo- rock bottom moment that encouraged you to hold a mirror up, which was like, this, this, this isn't the person that I want to be. And I did that. And then I just started saying no. And here's the couple of bits of advice is one, your career is not made down the pub. You actually start to get a hell of a lot of respect from your colleagues and your peers and your managers when you're rolling in full of energy, when they're full of shit. And if you want to be a good consultant, if you want to be a good salesman, your job is not just to make men, make money, it's to elevate the team and the business around you. It's to bring the energy up of a sales floor that's struggling to get moving. And when you're the person on the phones first thing in the morning and everyone around you isn't, you start to stand out. And even when you're not doing it, and that's where you start to get more credit in the bank with people around you. So for me, and, and then people start to respect you and then start, people start to see that change and they kind of want to know, well, how's he doing this? I would like to know this. And then for me, and this is the most important thing, when people try and create change, they try and remove things from them, their, their life without filling that void with anything else. 
So for me, like just going home wasn't good enough because when you haven't replaced what that pub was giving you or what it was or going out was with something else, you just end up retreating back to old habits. So for me, I was lucky I found running and that kind of an exercise and fitness became something that I could go and do instead of. And then I, I started that. going- Such a good insight. Yeah. And it's, and that's the thing you've got to feel like, feel it, yeah. and then for me, the second bit to that was because all my boys were down the pub getting smashed. And that was my, I, I suddenly became very friendless in London and I'm from London born and bred, but I was lucky because I found a community through running and I used to meet up with them every week and they became friends that I traveled with. So I filled the human in, interaction that I got down the pub with another community. And that was pivotal to my yeah. consistent ongoing change because that was going to be my next thing like how important are friends in this so in this change and helping influence that and because i think that's also a really hard part as well because yeah that that's just that's something that i've been through in my own sort of journey but i think that's one of the hardest parts that people have with this is that oh but i'm that means i'm not gonna i don't know like yeah who's who am i then gonna have that human connection with if i'm not going down to the pub with chevy like i think it's you i really like that insight is you've got to replace it with something you can't just leave the gap there because it reverts to old habits but i think that friend part's interesting because that's really hard that that is like that is so that's like you've got to be proactive you've got to be proactive if you want to change your environment within the environment in terms of friends you hang around with and things like that. And that's not difficult. That's not um, easy. No. And I think, so there's a couple of things to firstly understand is, is let's understand from a physiological point of view, how we respond to social connection and humans around us. Like when, if we were in a room talking right now and we're connecting our heart rates and respiratory rates would start to mirror each other. Really? Yeah. Bro. Like you, like our, our physiology is set up to bring us closer to other human beings, right? Hands up. Who's ever been stressed and ask their mum, right? I need a cuddle from my mum, or I need a cuddle from my girlfriend, or I need a cuddle from whoever. That is because from a physiological point of view, if you're stressed, you're not just releasing adrenaline and cortisol, you're also probably releasing a higher amount of oxytocin. Oxytocin is the love hormone which is designed to bring you closer to get to other human beings. So a lot of people, your natural stress response is drawing you closer to humans because evolution has said you're closer, you're safer as a tribe than you are out in the wilderness by yourself. Here's the second thing. Your brain's default mode is social cognition. So the reason that you try and close your eyes and meditate and you can't because you're thinking about everything in the world and your relationships is not because you're broken. It's because your brain's just trying to process your relationships with other people in the world. Because the brain's default mode is thinking about our place in a, in a pack, in a social situation, right? So we're designed to be part of a tribe to be close to other human beings. So when you rip that out of your life, because all you've got is that connection down the pub, of course you're going to go back because you're stressed, you're sad. And then your default body mode is to say, you need to be close to your tribe. Where are your tribe? In the pub, right? So I think, first of all, just to understand the battle that you've got about that. The second thing to think about is, well, first of all, the quality, quantity over quality over quantity is what counts when it comes to friendship. Yeah, I couldn't agree You know, you don't need, 50 friends. I genuinely probably have about two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I know. I was speaking to my friend about this last night. Yeah. Cause I, cause I think, yeah, I was speaking to my friends about this last night and I think that's for me personally, that's also been, I think that can also be a bit of a challenge for me personally. Right. And I'll explain what I mean is that when you sort of gone through that transition and if you're listening, you sort of recognize that, well, actually 
when I've gone out of that person, it always ends up going a bit weird and I want to sort of avoid that, blah, blah, blah. Like for me personally, now when I like meet new people or I'm looking at sort of, yeah, potentially have make new friendships, like my bar's quite high. Yeah. Do you get right, what I yeah. mean? So like it, it actually, so that I, I found that sometimes having a bit of a conflict that when you've recognized that, that quality over quantity, then there's also a bit of a conflict there where it's like when you do meet new people, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. There's a bit, just a bit of a standard where for me personally, a friendship is if I'm going to go down and spend time with Chevy and you're my friend, like I should, I, my mindset should be, or how I should feel towards that is that I'm going there and she, like Chevy's actually going to add something to like when me and Chevy meet, he's actually going to add something, not take away. I don't walk away from that. I was spending time together thinking, fucking hell, I feel more stressed after that. Or they've just always just unleashed all their pain onto me or whatever. Like, so I think, yeah, the quality over quantity thing is really interesting. And for me personally, I've always, like you can, you can tell bit judgmental but you can tell those that have quantity over quality from a friendship standpoint i think it's just interesting because you can you always see these people sort of one minute there you see them from this circle of friends and that circle of friends and i think it'd be really interesting to actually know like like do they know who their friends are and i think that is, yeah the quality over quantity i couldn't agree with that more and that's something that's really helped me Amazing, bro. Amazing, bro. And that's, that's it. Like, and that's what I think I, you know, I, I had to learn that over a long period of time, but it's, you know, so then it's kind of, you know, when I'm coaching people through change at the moment, it's like, well, you know, yeah, you might not go out on Thursday night, but why don't you go and arrange like a coffee or a walk or a lunch or a bike ride or, a, you know, a pickup game or something on a Saturday with your, your best mate, with your mate, right? There's always people in your past that you feel that you should be connecting with more that kind of you're drawn towards. It gives you an opportunity. So it's just thinking about where are the two or three relationships or the one relationship that I can nurture you know, and realizing it's not about having 50 mates, as we've said, it's nurturing those one or two mates and then realizing the rest is an exploration. You know, as you start to have energy back again, as you start to create time in your life to be able to spend on you, then it's about, you know, well, maybe I'm going to go join this sports team or maybe I'm going to join this community or this class and just getting different engagements and interaction. It takes time. It's taken me a decade yeah, no, to, work, to build a new and, that, and I think just just, just on, on on that point, which I think is really important for anyone listening, is like, and you you've got to be proactive. That that's what I've recognised. Like you, it, this this, like if you're someone that feels like you haven't got loads of quality mates and it's something that you want, unfortunately that means you do have to get a bit uncomfortable and you have to be proactive. Like that's definitely what I've that I've really learned that in London when I moved up here with like you have to be you have to actually do stuff to, to action. Mm-hmm. This business development, it's, it's headlining. Yeah, exactly. But it is like you've already demonstrated the skills that you need, which is just consistency and resilience and, 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 you know, a growth mindset of like learning through each step list, you know, and just, it just takes time and put the numbers in, put time in and it will start to occur. But like I said, just start with the people close to you. And here's the thing, like the more energy you have and the less tired you are, the more quality you can bring to the conversation. So what other people can bring to your life? Imagine like how much more focused you can be on your loved ones and your family when you're not sitting there on a come down or hanging out your ass or whatever it may be or exhausted or that. When you're more present, you're going to feel the quality of your energy that you can give to them is going to elevate them. And then that gives you a, a satisfaction and the self-worth. And that's really, that's half of it. It's not them for them to please you. It's also what you can give to them. And actually, when we can help other people, that's really great for our health and well-being. Yeah. So ju- just because I think it's such a good insight and good advice. So if I'm, 
listen right now and I'm going, yeah, that's really interesting, Chevy, that I, yeah, I do want to do less drinking. I do want to do less time down the pub and I don't want to demonize the pub here. I love going down no. the pub, but, uh, but yeah, if like that's, we're talking about sort of, um, if that, that's always been the sort of catalyst of you ended up being in a dark place or whatever. Um, I think the insight around you've got to replace it is really interesting. So if I'm listening right now, I'm like, right, I've got to replace this. I hate running. That I'm not going to do that. So like, what's your advice to people? Because I'm sure you have this a lot. Is like, how? What do you say to people to sort of encourage them? Like, how can I find that replacement? Like, what should I be doing? First thing that you've got to, I think we've got to think about is if someone is in a, in a situation where they want to make change, they're probably really stressed, really tired, really exhausted, and um, coming from a, a a place of debt, sorry, credit, is it debt, debt as it were? Do you know what I mean? Like we we I've got to get back to square one before I, I kind of move forward. I'm like here and you know later. So I think you've got to think about that. So then we've got to think about keeping things easy and think keeping things simple. And there's also the reality is that if you've been in the pub a lot, if you've been partying a lot, if you're kind of constantly tired or if you just kind of have been maybe, here we go, let's be straight. If you've been running away from shit for a long time and you've just not really been dealing with your whatever you've got going on, you're going to need some time to process that, right? And here's the thing, like our, our, our social brains need solitude. They need to have time away from everything, right? And that's not being on social media. That's not scrolling through news, right? Like not listening to podcasts. We need time to actually just be in our own thoughts. We, and that when we do that, we start to process. We start to get access to different cognitive resources, better decision-making, creativity, right? So the first bit of advice I give to people is it doesn't have to be the gym because maybe you haven't got any energy. You don't have to sign up for a marathon because maybe you haven't got any energy. You don't have to sign up to a course because maybe you haven't got enough energy. It's just starting to create some time in your life where you can spend some time by yourself processing whatever shit you've got going on or you've been moving away from. So simply looking at things like walking during lunch breaks without podcasts on for half an hour, 45 minutes, getting off the train, or if you're working from home right now, get ready for work in the morning, go for your commute. And that commute can be a 30 minute walk around your neighborhood and then turn up at your desk at work uh, in your house, right? Like transitioning between work and home, like going for a 30, 45 minute commute to process the day. Because when you start to close down the energy cycles of the day, energy cycles can be this podcast. They can be checking emails, meetings, whatever. When you start to close down these mini stress and energy cycles, these little moments of time that cause us to spend more energy and cause us to just be in the game. When you do that, you start to process you know, so putting in commutes, putting in walks, lunch times, going for a walk after work, going for a long walk on the weekend, because that'll just give you time to process and think. And then once you've caught up with your thinking, you can then start to think about the future. Does that what make if sense? I'm scared. No, that makes so much sense. What if I'm scared of, what if I'm scared of thinking? What if I'm scared of my own thoughts? What if I'm scared wait, wait. of being on my own? Yeah, I'm sure there's been times in your life when you've been scared before, but you've stepped over it and you've learned from it. You know, if someone's scared about something, I challenge you to think about a time in your life that something has scared you. And as opposed to walking away from it, you've lent into it. That could be the first BD call that you've ever done, right? Like I laugh at seasoned recruiters who struggle with this shit because I'm like, you have, you've already demonstrated all the skills that you need to do this, right? Oh, you're scared of doing something. You're scared of leaning into something that makes you feel uncomfortable. How do you think you got to billing half a million a year? Like, do you know, or whatever it was, like you lent into things that scared you. So think about a time that you've, think of the behavior you want. Think about a time that you've demonstrated that behavior in the past. Take confidence from that and just lean the hell in. 
and realize that as human beings, the place that we learn is when we're slightly frustrated or there is struggle, right? We don't learn during the good times. We do. We can learn from books and studying. That's all great. But you know what? We learn from picking up the phone and life experience. And we learn through struggle and frustration. That's where we're primed from plasticity, from our brain's point of view, to make the best adaptions. So actually feeling a little bit scared is a signal that that's the thing that you need to lean into. You know, when I'm talking to consultants about how to manage your day and I'm talking about what times of day they should be doing shit, they're like, first thing, I see them just pissing about, checking emails, doing all the EV stuff, all the stuff that's okay and writing lists and all that. I'm like, what's the thing that scares you the most today is making this call, right? That's the first thing that you're going to do <laughs> because for so many reasons, that's where you're going to get the most value, you know? So it's kind of just leaning in because yeah, that's you know, where skill. I yeah. like it. So look, for, not the final thing, but something that I definitely want to sort of just cross off here and then it'd be good to talk about a bit more about the last five years and your journey. So we were, we were speaking about this before and why I was so keen to do this. Like, let's just take the recruitment uh, industry, but I think it applies in other industries as well and just in general. But I think if we were to look at, I th- I'd think it'd be safe to say that a lot of people that listen to this podcast uh, know that sort of mental well-being mindset is important is a challenge for a lot of people and I think that's been a great shift over the last couple of years like how sort of prominent it is that we all know a lot of people deal with it and a lot more people talking about it but I think what what definitely lacks in the recruitment industry is is uh, men and males talking about it right I think if you I've had them all on the podcast Rhonda, Michelle, Katie, Emma, I've had the great people talk about who are on a mission to really make mental health something that is is normal to talk about, whatever normal is. And it's a safe place to talk about, right? Particularly in recruitment. There's a lot of female leaders driving this conversation, right? But as a lot of people will know or should know, one of the biggest killers of young men is suicide, is, is the mental health piece, right? So like, how how can we how can we actually start like, how can we actually start encouraging men, boys, males to actually start talking about this? Because clearly, like, we're very impacted by this, but there isn't very many people to look up to and sort of see or hear guys talking about their men- mental hardship and what they've gone through. And, and I think part of that, from my experience, is particularly in the sales environment, recruitment environment, um, how encouraged are you to open up? Normally it's be perceived as a weakness or like it's a sales testosterone heavy environment. So why would you show weakness and that's not what you're meant to do and all these things, right? So I think there's loads of things, but, but how, can, how can we start moving the needle on that, do you think? And like, how can we start encouraging guys and, and men to sort of be vulnerable and, and put their guard down? I think I kind of is an amazing question and um, you and me i'm sure we could talk about this for hours so it's like it's it's so relevant and i think the reason that i kind of it's funny i, I left recruitment like i never want to look at recruitment again and now kind of probably you know three quarters of my corporate work that i do is recruitment agencies just because you know i think i've still got some bones to pick with the industry but one of the things that i really want to do is is help young men i'm an ambassador for a men's mental health charity calm like it's such a big and important subject so i really appreciate the question and it's i think looking at it from two perspectives, I think we always have to think that any shift in culture um, comes from two directions, top down, bottom up. And I'll explain this. So first of all, like, you know, the, how are we going to do this? Well, the first thing that I step up is saying is talking to the CEOs, talking to the MDs, talking to the directors, talking to the leadership teams who are men 
and realizing that they are role models in the young men that are coming into this industry. And I, I've had like, I have had bulls out hard nosed conversations with CEOs who I've said, what you're doing is just not cool. You know, like the, the culture that you're creating is impacting young lives of brains and young humans that are so susceptible to this stuff and still figuring out their place in the world. You know, and I think it's got to come from the top down. They're the guys that can really change culture. They're the guys who can really kind of create this environment where it's okay to lead with vulnerability. And I'm not talking about crying at your desk. It's saying like, hey, I've had a tough day today. Or, hey, I'm worried about this month. Or, hey, I don't think, I think I'm going to donut. Or, hey, I'm feeling, feeling pretty shit because I'm bottom of the board, you know? Like, or, hey, it's okay to not go out for a drink. Stop trying to, you know, let's embrace this person running the marathon and not trying to lure them back into the donuts that we're leaving on top. And you know what I mean? Like, I think these... The young people that we bring into this industry are looking for signals and cues of how to behave from the people above them, right? And, you know, I think it's, if, if there are direct, I'm not telling people how to run their business. I'm just saying like, hey, you're being looked up to. And yes, it is your responsibility because you've hired these human beings and they spend most of their life with you and they've fallen into an industry that they never chose they wanted to do. So you've got an opportunity to impact them. So I think it's, it's senior leadership teams looking at how they're communicate, communicating, the cues that they're sending people and creating an environment where it's okay to share and also watching the tone and language of the things that are being said, you know, yeah, like the banter and stuff, like just being aware of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I think creating change slowly, but surely and getting advice and working with good HR people and, and so forth and, and creating that cultural change. So I think that's one thing. It's got to be from the top down. But here's the other one. Like I always talk about, I ask people like, what do you want to change around well-being within your organization? Or, or, you know, and, and people always put it on the company, on the bosses, right? Like I want them to do this. I want them to do that. I want them to do this. And I'm like, okay, that's really cool. The business should be making the change that you want and listening to you. But guess what? Guess who the language of culture is? You. You're the noughts and ones of culture. How you talk to people is defining the culture of the organization you're working in. So for me, it's working with, you know, uh, senior consultants, people who've been in the business for a couple of years, few years, people who are moving up through the ranks and working with them on how to inspire the people around them, how to bring up the language and the tone and the culture and the energy of the floor, how to inspire them, you know, how like when a young man puts down a slams down a phone call and he's calling that, you know, like I'm going straight up, right? Like hanging up the phone call and he's like stupid bitch. To a candidate. Now I know that he's probably got some manners and he's been brought up right, but because he's in a laddie culture, he thinks he can get away with saying that, right? And people are talking about candidates like they're pieces of meat and not human beings at the other end of the phone who are going through one of the most stressful things that they've been through. If they're not calling you back, then you've failed because you haven't got their attention or buy-in. It's not them, dude. You know? And it's like kind of then bringing up managers and saying, actually, don't accept that language. What look at what you're saying, you know, and how is that influencing the people around you? We're in a new world now. You've got to step up and you've got to be the language of change. So for me, it's working with people that are looked up to in the business and helping them steer the language of change and communication and talking. And within that, that's things like mentorship programs. You know, going in and talking to a room full of blokes around mental health is never going to work because it's just, it, it ends, you got to kind of sideswipe men, right? So it's just things like more like, um, you know, end of month reviews. Like we tend to do like, you know, how, how have I done this month? And we sandwich it, right? So how, how, how many times do people sandwich news? You know, it's like, I'm going to tell you the bad. I'm going to tell you the good. I'm going to tell you the bad again. Or what about good, bad, good or whatever. 
but doing things like actually take people into a room and just talk about the good and talk about the bad and constructive feedback another time and maybe do that positive talk on a walk outside of the office and see if they start to open up about other things. So just changing how you're talking about things, the environments you're talking in, I could go on forever doing it. Yeah, no, I like that. So yeah, what you're saying and quite simply is definitely people that have influence in the business, we've got a lead from the front and yeah, they are role models. And then, yeah, I really like that, what you just said. And then there's the accountability, the responsibility of if you do want change, then you're going to have to step up and you're going to have to actually make those changes yourself and have a say. And yeah, I really like that. So just quickly on this, um, like, I guess what have been, because I feel I'd like to think from the conversations I'm having a lot of business owners know that they're role models and know this is important or whatever. And then there'll still be people that may not um, think that, but like what have been some of the sort of common things that have sort of kept leaders paralyzed to trying to shift it or change it? I feel like what comes up for me when you're talking about this is that you'll say all this and go, yeah, okay, Chevy, I get it. I know it's important, but sort of what's, what's working right now, what has worked has done really well. And I don't really want to change that. Like what we've got going on right at the moment is working. It's, it's worked. We've generated six million pounds in turnover last year. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't see how one that could help us make more money or two, why I want to change it. So like what have been the sort of common things that you, like these guys, these people that you speak to are conscious of it's important, but don't, why, why aren't people taking action? Do you think? I think, I think first of all, it's it's always interesting. I'm like, it, it, you, I totally un- like it again. I'm not telling anyone how to run their yeah, of course, course. And I, I really just always like make it clear, guys. And I'm just trying to be as black and white in these conversations because we've got an hour in a room to talk to each other about it. And I fully understand there's different challenges and gray areas. You know, first of all, that it's really interesting what you say is like we don't want to. And I'm like, I have had these conversations. Like whether you want to or not, you have to. If you want to attract and retain the best talent in the market, you need to be in this conversation because generation, whatever letter we're up to in the alphabet that I always forget, their expectations are like changing. Gen Z. There we go. You know, and, and it's expectations are changing. You only have to look at the research around what their expectations of you are as an employee moving forward. And if you're not doing these things, if you're not bringing well-being and health and, you know, not making, you know, we're so used to making time the metric to success within recruitment. It's not, it's energy and focus. You know, it's not about how many hours you put in. It's about being, you know, do, doing good with what the t- you know time you have and being energized and being focused on that. And also making sure that people have energy at the end of the day for themselves and loved ones. And they haven't given you everything every day of the week, every week of the quarter and so forth. You've got to be in this conversation. And especially now the country is going into a big, big hangover. You know, we are going, people's energy levels are dropping dramatically. Work is going to increase. I've seen this in 08. You've seen how people have dealt with it in 08. I've seen it at Techbomb 2001. Like you see the hangovers and how tiring it is for people to get out themselves out of the holes. People need to be in this conversation at the moment. It is so, so important. The reason that I see people not doing this, I think, which was your question, forgive me, I know I've waffled uh, through that, but I think that the, the thing that, the reason that I see people struggling to do this is because you have to put on your own oxygen mask on before helping other people. And the companies that I see really struggling to create this kind of change are ones where senior leadership teams are so fucking stressed out that they don't have the ability to create this change. Yeah. Because they're just hiring, they're just, they're just managers that are constantly looking for the quickest solutions, the best solutions. They're stressed. And what do we do when we're in a state of stress? We focus on the tiger in front of us. We're not thinking about the bigger picture and what we're gonna, where we're going to pick, you know, build our house and what, what crops we're going to. We're focusing on the tiger. 
you know, and we're focusing on staying alive. And this is what I see is leadership teams when they are so stressed and they're just firefighting all the time, that is not a conversation or time to be talking about strategic growth or change around well-being or mental health because they've got to learn to look after their own shit first, manage their stress so they have the cognitive resources to think about this and implement it. And again, this is why it comes from the top, you know, sometimes when I work with companies, I work with a CEO for a quarter on how, you know, and, and their management team create change there. And then we trickle downwards. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let, let's, let's just segue and talk a bit about more recent times. So obviously left the recruitment industry, which I know you feel really passionate about how it sort of equipped you with so many skills, experiences that have sort of really helped you do what you do now. But I think what I was really interested to talk about, and you can sort of give a bit of context um, if you want, but I know when we spoke before this, what I thought was really interesting, what I was really sort of keen to dig into, because I think a lot of people can relate, was where you had that experience where, obviously, yeah, left the recruitment industry, then went on, obviously, your your new journey, newfound purpose, um, and you sort of got a bit of success quite quickly, ended up on like a BBC sort of documentary to do with running and these types of things. Obviously, a lot more people knew Chevy Ruff was and these types of things. And obviously, you shared with me how sort of these great things all happened, but and then you didn't feel fulfilled or you got to that point where you sort of was aiming for and where you wanted to be and you got there and was like, and obviously didn't feel happy, didn't feel fulfilled. So I guess it'd be good to talk a bit about that. If you want to give some context as to how you got to that point, that'd be great. But why I think that's important is because I think that's really that will happen for a lot of people that listen to this just not just in recruitment but just in life anyway and a few people have spoken about this where had a a guy called uh, Nick Carmen that really uh, um, spoke really openly about this where sort of he got that top biller status he he worked his absolute socks off to get there he got it and then he all of a sudden had a huge um, hill of new amount of pressure that he put on himself and um felt that all he was was the top biller and if he wasn't that what was he and went on a whole different journey there so it it wasn't quite the experience he thought it was would have been so it'd be good if you could talk a bit about that because I think that a lot of people I feel like that could resonate and help people yeah bro it was um so I I mean exactly that so I I mean I left the I I walked out of my job like five, just over five years ago, um, went traveling for a few months, came back, retrained as a, so I originally retrained as a personal trainer and running coach and specialized with working with runners. And you're absolutely right. Like I got a call within the first year of setting up my, my business, my coaching business, um, from the BBC. And they said, Hey, we've got BBC one documentary, two parts, the Royal family are involved. Nick Knowles is presenting. We want you to coach 10 people to run the London marathon that have mental health conditions. We want to connect the dots between running and mental health. And this is when the the sea change was happening in 2016, 17, it was heads together and so forth that were sponsoring the marathon. So I went into that project and one of the most amazing, beautiful projects I ever did. It was six months of filming, traveling around the country, working with these people uh, who are family now, love them to pieces. And it was really ironic. So I got to the, as, as the project started to, cause basically the, 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 the documentary was going to be aired the, the Thursday before the London marathon. And then the second episode was going to be the Thursday after. And I started to kind of burn out and f- just things weren't good for me coming towards the end of the project, but I pushed on through, kept going. And the irony was that I was on BBC on this airing of the second episode. I had nailed the project to the wall. I couldn't have done any better. Like I 
the proudest thing I've ever done. I wasn't proud at the time. I didn't know what pride was, but now like I nailed it. And I went from drug addict Chev. And if anyone is listening to this, the new Chevy rough in the city knows what I'm talking about. I went from this guy with the reputation to BBC one. You know, I got to go and I'm putting my fingers up. If you're listening to this, like I got to go, <laughs> that, I got to, go like that to the world, right? That recruiter in me was like, look, I'm top of the board this month. Shut yeah. your mouth. Right. That's what I got. And that's what I've been bred on. So I got to do that. But at that moment, when everyone was telling me how proud they were, my mum was finally proud of me. Everyone was. I took my first antidepressant pill. And the, 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 the second thing on that is I was three months off of marrying my beautiful wife. I built the career I'd wanted. I'd created the persona and status I'd wanted, the identity that I wanted in life. And I'd found the woman of my dreams, you know, and was getting all this praise on social media and news articles and, and asked to do bigger projects and all this kind of stuff. Everyone wants me on podcasts. Like I got there, but I was at the lowest point in my life. Why? Um, so there's two things here. Um, and, and I talk about the physiological and psychological, which, you know, I talk about physiology is psychology, but for this conversation, I separate the two. From a psychological perspective, I went into this project and I'd never really confronted my own mental health. I came out of the city, quit drugs, and just rolled into starting a new business, building a business, hustling 15 hours a day, trying to make my name, make, make way in the world. And, you know, I did that and I never really dealt with a lot of the gremlins. I never had therapy to quit drugs. I never went to NAA. I never went to NA or anything like that. Like I just dealt with it all myself. And then I went into this project where week in, day in and week out, I was talking to people about their mental health. You know, and with experts and people, I was quite, every time I went to go coach someone, I'd have a camera on me asking me what's going on and then I'd have a camera afterwards. They'd be filming me having a conversation. And when I worked with runners, I didn't give a crap about the running. I cared about everything else in their life. That's what you focus on as a coach, right? So for me, I was getting into this narrative of mental health and combining that with the physiological of a state of chronic stress, because I had just been on for my whole life. I'd only ever lived in first gear. I was wired. I was in a state of, you know, uh, fight, flight and freeze, a, a sympathetic tone. My nervous system was just on all the time and I never dealt with the gremlin. So I actually started going into therapy to deal with some of the psychological stuff halfway through filming. It was through the ther therapy that I realized that the, the reason what that I was- of therapy? Sorry. So it was, uh, I, I always, uh, do you know what? I, a psychotherapist, like it just, you know, um, so I went to go see her once a week. The most amazing thing and the best thing that I ever did, you know. Um, and is that just, just quickly for context? Please, bro, everyone, ha everyone has an assumption or will have an image of the head of what that actually looks like because of films and everything like that. But was that literally you sitting down and she would go, Chevy, how are you feeling today? It was me. Uh, yeah, it wasn't quite like, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I, was, I think my, it was my visualization. I always think Tony Soprano. Uh, <laughs> I definitely wasn't Tony Soprano. But you kind of just go in and you, yeah, exactly. you sit opposite someone and we sat and she, you know, how, and she just very good at like, you know, what's gone on this week and getting feelings out of you without directly attacking them, you know? And what she realized made me realize, and, and when you get quite serious for a second and, and everyone, I hope, hope take this in a positive way. So, what I realized within that therapy was, so I used to, I have this poem by Dom, Dylan Thomas, which uh, I always plagiarize, even though it's the thing that saved my life essentially, which is he talks about um, rage, rage against, against the dying of the light. Do not go gentle into that good night, right? And rage, rage against the dying of the light is a, is a, is a, a, a bit of a sentence that just saved me, right? I never wanted to let the, the light die within me. I always wanted to fight against it. And she said to me, like, why are you always fighting? Why is it such rage against the light? And then she was like, you know, it, we came out like, why are you always running all the time? Why are you always going from meeting to meeting? Why are you never switching off? Why is your day ram packed? 
Why do I want to get up from a dinner table by the time I put the last bit of food in my mouth? Why could I never spend time alone by myself? Why was I always running away? And the thing that we worked out within therapy is the reason that I was always moving all the time is because if I stopped, I was going to have a conversation with suicide. Wow. And that's what therapy helped me figure out is I was literally raging against the dying of the light. Like I actually kind of realized what that actually meant. <laughs> you know, at the same time, I'd set up a running crew called Chasing Lights. Like I was, all these signals were in my life, like kind of there. And for me, I realized that I was moving away. And it's really funny because I was like, no, I was never going to, I would never kill myself because, you know, whenever I've like stood by the platform waiting for the train and I've thought about jumping in front of it, it doesn't mean I would actually do it but I was standing there having that conversation. What if, you know, and please, if anyone else is, this is kind of a, a deep subject. There is a, a lot, you can speak to calm charity. They've got helplines there. You can reach out to me and Hisham. We'll point you in the right direction. I appreciate it's quite a punchy conversation, but if we're going to talk about this, we have to talk about the truth about it. It's, and that was it. And that I realized that I was, and honestly, too afraid bro, to be by yourself. I was too afraid just to be by myself. And it was, I was just always moving away and running away from the yeah. darkness within me. And it so, was really gone. Go so just on that, like, are we talking just to sort of like, hopefully make this a bit more like, are we talking like literally? So yeah, th that makes complete sense, by the way. I get that. And I think a lot of people probably might find themselves in the same boat, right? Always, yeah, like 100 miles an hour. And that's because, yeah, that, as you said, you didn't face the, the demons. And that was, that's sort of, you recognize that. But so like, are you talking like literally, if you, like if you stopped or you wasn't doing that, that you like, you would literally just be having the ideation of, clean yourself like is that is, are we talking like literally you just think you would just then just think about it or i think it would crop up into my psyche like every now and then like i'd always have these like well what if i was better off on this planet uh, i'd be better off without not just not being on this planet like i would have these conversations to myself but i would say it was more i just there's a reason we put podcast you know earphones in our heads all the time we turn the tv on when we're at home like i just never wanted to really deal with what i had to deal with in my head and i think that's what was it and i think the more that i stopped and slowed down the more that the inbox that i had been ignoring would come flooding back at me and there'd be 10,000 emails and when i'm trying to fit, like go through those 10,000 emails of all my past experiences and traumas and problems and issues it can get so overwhelming that i think you know what instead of dealing with that maybe the best thing to do is you know, just, yeah. you know, whatever well, it may no, be. No other option. And, and that's the thing. Like it just, remember the brain's default mode is social cognition. And I never really understood. I never gave myself time to process the life that I had been through. I had just, I had replaced alcohol and drugs with healthier things, but I was still running hard all the time, chasing PBs, chasing times, injuring myself all the time, staying busy all the time. Like I just replaced one with the other. And ultimately I hadn't dealt with the things that I needed to deal with. I never dealt with the intrinsic things inside me that were driving these behaviors. So it gave me an opportunity to have those conversations to understand it. And then over the last few years has been about just then kind of building on top of that. Um, and so now you, I, so I love you that when you, so you realize that when the BBC program launched and obviously halfway through you were getting the therapy so that must have been really conflicting and hard, right? Because you're getting all this praise. You're going, Chevy, you've done it, amazing, blah, blah, blah. But, and then, you know, behind closed doors, you're having real conversations with yourself and having the, that, those, yeah, those moments of real hardship to process. Why the fuck do I feel like this? And having that sort of realisation. So how, how, did you, how did you start processing the demons? You know... I went back to how I quit the drugs, which was just, and this is really cheesy, it, one, one day at a time, you know? And, and I, 
I learned to slow down. I learned to find what third and fourth gear felt like, you know, and then I educated myself and that's how I've ended up being here. You know, I, I, I started to look, I mean, I'm a performance breath coach underneath it all. Like I do a lot of work around performance breath work and, and understanding our physiological response around stress and state control. I do all these, like look at the physiology. And for me, I just started to focus on today. I didn't want to stay on medication. There's nothing wrong with medication. Medication was the thing that gave me the trampoline to look into the next room, but I was about to get married and, and, uh, it was very hard for me to do what I needed to do in the bedroom on medica- medication. So it was like, you know, it was one of those things. How long was you on antidepressants for? I was on the money for six months. Um, and again, I want to say well, that, that was one of the side effects. And that was one of the side effects. And for me, you know, that just didn't sit well with me. So I started to understand like, what is the toolbox that I have? You know, I know that, you know, we know that 145 minutes of walking in a week has similar mental health benefits as antidepressants for some people. We know that I think it's something like 30% of people don't respond well to typical antidepressants, but there are other antidepressants, nature, walking, exercise, journaling, talking. So for me, I started to explore what are the lifestyle choices that I need to make? What is the toolbox that I have? And I made my world very small. I said no to a lot of business. I let go of a lot of people uh, coaching wise. I, I kind of shrunk my world to be able to just Get focus on me space. today. You know, I, and I learned to put my own oxygen mask on. I learned how to educate myself. I surrounded myself by good coaches, good thinkers. You know, I, I choose, I started to choose what I was ingesting as much as my social media was taking off. I started to, I closed it all down. I stepped away from social for, for over a year. You know, I went into the shadows again to just kind of start to kind of spend time on me and evolve me and, and work on me. And I looked at the energy requirements of life. And the reason I'm a coach now is because of that journey. So, dude, I just broke it down one day at a time and, and just built from there. So during that, during that process, then what, what sort of habits and non-negotiables do you have now that have came from that process and journey? God, this is a, this is a wonderful whole other whole other workshop we could we can do, bro. Like you know, for me, I you know built some very hard. So just very simple things like, and again, guys, like I don't want to say I have the perfect like. No, no, but you, you just know, found out what works. Yeah, yeah, cool. But it's like you know, some days like my habits go out the window. But for me, you know, it comes down to some very basic things. So first of all, was prioritizing always is prioritizing sleep. And sleep is the gift that helps us process everything. Like it is the most fundamental thing we need to process thoughts, feelings, emotions, and set us up for tomorrow. So that's like, you know, understanding how to manage my sleep better, ensuring that I do things like no screen light before sunlight. So making sure that I don't just get up and get on my phones in the morning, make sure I wake up for an hour. I have my morning routines and habits. Walking is king. So making sure that I'm just consistently walking as much as possible and getting outside into nature as much as possible and closing down stress and energy cycles. You know, if I'm like right now, you know, what am I going to do after this podcast is I'm not going to jump into my emails and the next bit of work. I'm going to go for a walk for half an hour. I'm going to read for 10 minutes and then I'm going to crack on because I'll be much more effective in that next hour as opposed to me trying to work for the next two hours. So it's kind of, for me, it's understanding how to manage my time to prioritize energy and focus. And then that's nutrition, it's sleep, it's walking, and then it's breath work as well. I do a lot around breath work. Breath work is the gateway to be able to influence our system in so many different ways. So they were kind of like the tools that I kept picking up. Um, and then education, dude, keep learning, keep reading, keep talking and, and, and go from there. Yeah, look, I think the self-education piece is interesting and, and a real important one because I've been on my own sort of journey with that and by no means expert, but what, who even is an expert, right? But um, I think what, what what's like your sort of go-to to sort of, in, sort of you can see someone, you're having conversations with someone that's sort of 
you can see they're sort of open to that light or they're open to sort of they're curious to write how can I start taking control of my mental well-being and things like that what's your sort of go-to self-education for people so I think from a self well uh, you know I'm going to kind of cop out for the very quickly for the first couple of sentences and say always the first point of thought is self-education is I need to make sure you can spend time by yourself because where I process the books that I read is not when I'm reading them. It's when I go for a walk afterwards without anything in my ears to think about it. Mm. Right. Like that's where we make the adaptions. That's where our body learns. It gets stronger. It grows. You know, if we go in the gym, we don't get stronger in the gym when we tear the muscles. We get stronger when we've stepped away from the gym and got a good night's sleep and put our state and state rest. So first of all, you know, if you, I don't want you just reading to just distract yourself. Oh, yeah, you need I need to, to make sure yeah. you can assimilate. Yeah, and you've really made that clear, which I really love. So that's, that's kind of step number one. And step number two, it depends where people are in their journey, bro. Like I'm surrounded by books in here. So this is always like a, a wonderful question. Cause I'm like, I think for me, it's depending on, um, where they are. I mean, look, a, a couple of great books. Like if you really want to, if you're a dude and you want to understand more about your human nature and ego, there's a book called, um, uh, the laws of human nature by Robert Greene, which like he'll tell stories of like Coco Chanel or other really kind of important historical figures. And he'll tell their story. And then he'll talk about how that relates to our own personality traits. And it really gets you to stare into the barrel of like why you do shit as a human being. So that's a real wake-up call. It's quite a big book, but an easy read. Um, if most people are trying to make change, they probably struggle with consistency. And um, if they're struggling with consistency, it's because they need to understand stress and energy in their life. So a great book that kind of puts a lot of the research and practical stuff into good um, uh, ways of doing things is a book called The Upside of Stress. Uh, by Kelly McGonigal. So it just really helped people how to reframe stress. Like stress is the most wonderful and powerful tool that we have to become a better recruitment consultant, a better lover, a better family member, a better, better athlete. We need stress in our lives to adapt and grow. If you're struggling against your head, you know, and like kind of having the right kind of mindset. There's a book called Mindsets by uh, Dr. Carol Dweck, which is a fantastic book, which talks about fixed versus growth mindset um, and how to challenge yourself on that with some great exercises. Um, and then if you're really struggling just to make the right kind of habits and routines, the internet is awash with this book right now. Uh, everyone's reading it, but Atomic Habits is great. Like if you want to understand the power behind that, the final book, if you want to understand how all of these things piece together in a great book, there's a book called Willpower uh, by Roy F. Baumeister. Um, and this book really helps understand how to have the willpower and self-control to make change. Because if you can understand how to harness willpower and self-control, you can make so much happen. And that's, I mean, I've read this book a billion times and it really helped me. So I hope that that's a lot, sorry, but it really just depends. No, that's good. What, what I'll do is I'll, um, I'll put, uh, I'll put like links to them in the episode notes. I think that'd be a good, good thing to do. I guess the only one that I'd chuck in there just because I found it super interesting. And to be fair, it's just a huge self-education on the actual whole landscape of mental health. And I recommended the last one was the, um, the lost connections by Johan Hari. Bruh, a hundred, and if it had been in this room, I would have, <laughs> I would have probably, I think, and you're, you're absolutely right. Like yeah. you recommended the best book, like absolutely. Like, yeah. So, sorry, so I just, it like, no, it really gives yeah, that'll really give you a real understanding of, and it's coming from someone that's been on the journey. Yeah. 
as and well. Even, and, and, and just a note on that, you know, obviously you're listening to the pod, best podcast on the market right now, but he's done so many like YouTube videos and yeah, podcasts he's done loads as well. Of, yeah, he's got some good podcasts with Joe Rogan. You can stuff. really uh, like listen to him. And then if you like it, it primes you for the book. And he talks a lot about a lot of the stories on podcasts. That it, like you absolutely nailed it, bro. Great, great, great recommendation. So look, coming to the end here, let's sort of tie it. Like how, what do you think, uh, I guess just what's coming up for me before we finish is like how, I don't know, what, how do you think, I don't know, do you think things are going to change or I don't know where, how can we, how can people listening actually just sort of really break this down again, talking how you have sort of really helped you is day at a time. Like how can I start taking action? Do you think to sort of wrap this up? If I'm listening to this, gone, look, this has really helped me, blah, blah, blah. What now? Listen, like, listen, listen to your ins like the first step to change is awareness right you've got to be aware of where you are you know people are going off and doing wim hof breath work or down regulation piece like you know do you even know what that's doing to your system like you've got to be aware of where you are and your system is right now and you need self-awareness self-awareness you know and that's it could be a hard thing to do, so, but that's just about learning to spend some time alone with yourself throughout the day at the right kind of times within a day. And then by doing that, the supercomputer on top of your head will start to help you understand what you need to pay attention to. You know, your inside view is, is ready to talk to you. You know, I need to get an early night. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. So then it can start to give you some things to action. So I just genuinely, it's just, you know, where do I start? What do I do? Just start spending some time by yourself throughout the day at lunch break, in between meetings, in between home and uh, work and home, and start to listen to what's going on and just listen without being judgmental. Do you know what I mean? Like, just see it as an experiment. See it as your body providing you data and information for you to action upon. And if you keep telling yourself you need to get back to the gym or, you know, go back to the gym, but maybe doing hit sessions five times a week wasn't what you needed because that is actually a stress on an already stressed out system. Maybe you're just saying you need more movement in your life. You need more walking. You need more, you know, maybe two sessions in a week, like downplay what it is that like, don't be so optimistic or don't set your, your, your sights so high. Like just listen to what you need and then kind of break that down a little bit more and start to just look after the basics, man, like nutrition, sleep, movement, hydration, solitude, time alone. If you start to look after those things, you start to look after the energy cord attached to the supercomputer. That supercomputer will start to be able to tell you what you need to do in life and help you navigate some of the problems in life. No, I really like that. And um, I think it's, I know it sounds really simple, spend time with yourself, but actually be surprised how difficult that is. <laughs> to, to, there's a book called Solitude, right? Like, and, I, and most, like, I could literally, I got a whole other books here on solitude, rest. Like, yeah. you look at all the great thinkers, you know, and, 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 and people that we all look up to and aspires, the Albert Einsteins, the Franklins, the Abraham Lincolns, a consistent theme throughout them. And also the operators that I work with, right? Top billers, CEOs, directors, real players in the market. The thing that they do very well is understand how to shift gears. They understand the importance of putting themselves into a state of rest, downtime, because that's where they start to get access to the cognitive resources for better decision-making for more strategic decision making, creativity. Like it is the, the most powerful tool to productivity. And yes, it is so simple. And sometimes I'm like, I want to, I want to give Hisham like the, like the golden thing, like something really magical. Is he really just recommending time by yourself and walking? Yeah. Day in and day uh, yeah. out. That's what I recommend. I think, uh, yeah. I think I was just going to say like, 
just sort of to add on that is like yeah it, that's way more difficult than you think and and people listening will know that because when you go for a walk we all know how how difficult it is to go no I'm going to leave my phone or yeah like like there's so many things now and this is obviously part of the the challenge of this right there's so many things right now that offer escapism and offer not having to look at the demons or look at so, or have the opportunity to process right and i think i think that's i, I love that advice because it's it is it does actually take a real conscious effort to be like i'm not going to listen to a podcast on this walk i'm going to leave my phone or whatever and i i couldn't agree more sort of the journey that i'm i'm, I'm still young and sort of the journey that i've been on is sort of the more and more I become more comfortable with my own skin and with my own company and these types of things is really personally helped me with things like my, my, when I was younger and probably not as self-aware, like I was so worried about other people's opinions. Like that's all I cared about. And sort of the journey that I've been on, that's been one of the, the things that I've really sort of correlated with the more time you have on yourself and not, yeah, being more willing to spend time with yourself not having inputs and the things that you're saying, the more comfortable you are with other people's opinions of you and you and the comfort of yourself. And I think it's so important that you do really try and work on yourself and be more comfortable with yourself because as you've said, and I've I definitely feel that it gives you so much more opportunity and energy to give to everyone else and everything else in your life. Like I couldn't agree with that more. Love it. Glad man. Yeah. So look, um as we finish this then. Um, obviously, you're happy for people to reach out, speak mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. And it's important. Like, if you, and people know, I always just say, is really, I appreciate I might spark some thoughts or, or you know, and, and, and some, some things within people. And we can't, there's so many gray areas. There's so much mental and physical diversity out there. Like, please do reach out if you've got questions and I can send some more readings, some more data, some more numbers, tell people to get like, I can, I've got a whole load of information that can help and, and so forth. So please do reach yeah, out amazing. if you have any questions. So yeah, look, before I ask you the uh, final question then, what, what, you, what should you be most excited about post-COVID, professional or personal? Um. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to get back in front of people. You know, I think that uh, so many coaches, um, you know, rightly so are building online businesses and and have done and, and online products, and that's going to be a necessity and we need it. You know, I'm actually fighting for how I can get back in, in front of people in rooms, you know, because this is such a complex conversation. It deserves to be had in front of people. And I also know that people are craving human interaction, engagement, myself included, as much as I'm a, a, you know, like my own isolation and time by myself. So for me, I'm just excited about us building a world that, you know, of just building a business where I can get back in front of people um, and get away from these Zoom calls. Um, you know, not all the time, but doing that. And that's genuinely what I'm excited is getting back into a room with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll definitely with you on that one. Yeah. So look, final question. If if Chevy Ruff could communicate to every single recruiter out there, they'd listen, they'd take your advice, they'd implement it tomorrow. What would uh, Chevy say to the people? God, I've been happy with this podcast. I'm not going to walk away. I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm happy with today. And then this one, the one bit, you know, I think it's really, I, I kind of, when I speak to recruiters, I tend to speak to the young recruiters. The recruiters are still trying to find their way in the world and trying to find the purpose behind what they're doing. You know, why am I putting more CVs up on the board? You know, BD, sending CVs out the door. Why am I doing more BD calls? What's the flipping point of this? You know, I just don't connect with it. 
And I just try and get them to realize that you might not have a career in recruitment, but everything that you do today will be about building skill sets and competencies that will lend itself to whatever you choose to do down the line. You know, and, and when you start to understand that that candidate not calling you back is an opportunity for learning, when that BD call, when that hiring manager hangs up on you, it's an opportunity for learning. Everything that you see as negative and, and horrible and annoying is when you can start to understand that that is a challenge and an opportunity for growth and developing your skill sets, then the skill sets that will not only lend themselves to your future recruitment career, but outside of that, the reason I got a job on the BBC over... GB Olympic coaches, and I got the job is because I managed the sales cycle well from the moment that they called me up and started to bring me into the process. My follow-up emails, building rapport, building relationships, sending them feedback after each stage, and generally just understanding how to communicate more efficiently, that got me there. You know, and it's really important to understand that everything that I do now, the way that I communicate is all because of recruitment. So next time someone hangs up the phone, instead of being pissed off and calling them a name, think about what have I learned? What can I take away? And how can I integrate this into the next phone call, into next week, and so forth? It's a learning opportunity that will take itself far. I hope that makes it clear. Chevy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Dude, it's been a blast. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you. If you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Hishimazoos and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.